Welcome to the Wandering Toward Wisdom podcast, a ministry of tactical faith. I hope you all are staying healthy and thinking of ways you can serve others in what might end up being a very difficult time for us, for all of us. Well, in this episode, Joel and I continue talking about the deconstruction episodes of the fairly famous duo of Rhett and Link on their Ear Biscuits podcast. Our goal is not to criticize them or make us Christians feel comfortable by accusing them of some ulterior motive. Rather, we want to first try to hear what they say that is right. Because even though Joel and I are believers, we recognize that many of our ideas as Christians are not exactly Christian. And I think that Rhett and Link, in rejecting Christianity, are perhaps rejecting a form of Christian belief that is not exactly Christianity. In turn, their implicit claim that apologetics is largely ineffectual and unconvincing might be an important critique of apologetics that we can learn from. Could it be that we are offering proofs for things about Christianity, maybe while inadvertently undermining faith in God? These and various related topics are some of the aims of this series. Uh, In this episode, we may ruffle some feathers uh, with some of the topics that we bring up. Feel free to critique us. Our goal is to grow in our understanding of Scripture and what it means to be a human in God's image and the nature of a developing relationship with God grounded in His love and grace. And in that, we stumble, fail, and perhaps even say confused, erroneous, probably some stupid things. But that's why we've entitled the podcast Wondering Toward Wisdom, because we hope to be moving toward wisdom, but we too have lost our way from time to time. I also do my little tirade about denominations, so I sort of apologize for that, but not really. Anyway, have a listen, and we'd love comments, questions, criticisms, and perhaps even insults as long as they're with the love of Jesus. So email us at wondering at tacticalfaith.com. That's wondering with an underscore where the O or the A would be. Tweet us uh, at wondering wisdom. And again, underscore where the A or the O would be. Uh, Or check out tacticalfaith.com for blogs, our other podcasts, and even opportunities to support us. Welcome back to the Wondering Toward Wisdom podcast. Uh, We are continuing our discussion of the... Uh, Rhett and Link sort of deconstruction of their faith. Um, and we, we entered it last time talking about some of the benefits of deconstruction. Now, deconstruction is kind of a bad word, but uh, some of the benefits of deconstruction. Uh, and we talked a little bit about how we referenced at least we're criticizing. Um, we want to criticize our own beliefs, not necessarily criticize Christianity, but in many ways what we want to do is test the way that we think and the way that we live against the truth of Christianity, against the life and the work of Jesus Christ, so that we can then uh, see where ways in which things that have become sort of a part of Christianity, uh, a part of our way of living Christianity, may in fact be opposed to, to belief, opposed to love, and so on and so forth, which means it's opposed to real Christianity. So deconstruction can be good because it's a way of cleaning out the nonsense. It's kind of like rebuilding a transmission, you might say. And so, uh, which is, as a philosopher, why would I be talking about that? But uh, um, <laughs> so, but today we want to talk a little bit about what what we think Rhett and Link actually got right. And so, Again, well, I want to preface this a little bit by saying this doesn't this doesn't mean that we think that they are right in their conclusion, but we want to reference a, a few a few things where they may have got something right, and maybe we'll move on, or maybe we'll bring this into it. Uh, a part of uh, I don't know if we're going to get deep into the response here, but a little bit about uh, 
while they got certain aspects perhaps right, maybe their understanding of it was a little bit off. Um, but we'll see. We'll go. Well, let's let's start talking a little bit about because again, we're going to take them. We're kind of going to kind of take them at face value. We're not going to we're not going to suggest that they have ulterior motives, criticize them for moving to Los Angeles or whatever. What we're going to do is we're going to take them at face value because we don't know them. We're just going to sort of trust them, uh, and we're going to see if Christianity can produce a response and what apologetics, uh, an apologetics response might look like. Um, and that's where we really want to get to. So let's begin. What are some of the things, um, Joel, that you think that they got right? Well, I, I first want to emphasize again, um, a lot of their past resonates with me. Um, not, not all of it, but a lot of where they come from, um, feels very familiar and, you know, had, certain things gone a certain way, I could have seen myself going down a similar path as them. And, you know, I, I, I've gone down some of the paths that they've gone down and that makes me, um, sympathetic. I, I haven't ended up at their conclusions. Um, but I'm sympathetic to, to what's going on. And as Travis said, ultimately we're using right and link as almost kind of a case study to try and set up some bigger issues with apologetics that, that we think um, can be made better, at least. Um, so the the first thing I want to say that I think they, they really get right is they're questioning about certainty. Um, so often when we think about our beliefs, we think that we need to be certain of them and we can have no room for questioning them or, or doubting them or, or re-understanding them even. If we have questions about beliefs, if we, if we're willing to re-understand things in light of new information, that's not a failure. Um, it is a sign of pursuing truth. And as we've talked about through this podcast in multiple episodes, when we talk about relationships, you're always learning more about the person. Um, it's not necessarily that it causes you to dramatically re. Uh, reject the way you used to understand the person and understand them differently now. Um, but we're always making little tinkerings as far as how we understand people as we learn more and more about them. And given that, you know, as so many Christians emphasize that Christianity is a relationship, not a religion, or however you want to say say that uh, that platitude, the the idea is we should be open to learning more about God, learning more about God's creation. And tinkering our understand with our understanding in light of that information. So, if if we aren't certain because we're open to more information, that's okay. And I, I and Rhett and Link, kind of pushing back against certainty. I I think they're they're right on about that. Um, I also think they're right on in in pushing back on a Christianity that uses fear or shame. As the as tools to get you to believe specific things, right? You know, I I think of you know time in the classroom when you know I've had teachers who like to use fear to intimidate you to get you to take things more seriously or or whatever, and that only worked when you realized that they actually really cared about you and what they're teaching you, and the fear is kind of just the thing to get you in the door. Um, 
It's, so, it's sort of like the fear someone might have of a coach, but of right. a co- of a good coach who truly cares for them. And but when that coach gets mad, you know this things are serious. But it's because the coach wants you to flourish. You might say to excel in what what it is that you're doing. Right, and and so, um, you know, I've I've seen and heard from many people who have experienced fear as their driving motivation for holding certain Christian beliefs or, or shame driving them um, doing or not doing certain things. And someone might say, well, look at the results it produces. That That's a good thing. I mean, if, if people, you know, hold on to their Christian faith or they don't do certain things or they do certain things because of fear and shame, shouldn't we be glad that they're doing those things? Um, I tend to say, um, that is probably, that might be better than not, but so much of Christian formation is about, uh, transforming your character. And if you're, if, if things are reinforcing acting out of fear and shame rather than, uh, becoming more Christ-like, that's a problem. Um, and, and, and one of our goals is to love God. And if the only experience you now, I know the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. And I don't think fear there really necessarily means respect. I think it actually does mean fear, but, but it's, it's a thing that develops, or I, you might say it develops into respect. I think it almost, it's somewhat comparable, not precisely, but it's analogical to the fear of a father. And uh, particularly, uh, let's mention father. I'm not trying to be sexist, whatever. But your your fear of your father. But if your if your father is abusive, or despises you, or hates you, and it's nothing but fear. If the if the father is only terrifying and only shame only shames you and, and terrifies you, you will never mature into loving your father. You'll mature into into trying to avoid him and get away from him. And I feel like a lot of us, and not feel like. I know from my conversations with a lot of people that a lot of Christian men, even older men who have been Christians for 40, 50 years and serious Christians like dedicated ones, um, even involved in ministry, they don't feel like God cares about them. I, I mentioned this all the time. They don't feel like God cares about them. They feel like God, you know, this has been a struggle in my life. God, God may, God may quote unquote, love me the way people who other Christians who hate me, love me. <laughs> but they, they, he doesn't like me, right? And again, over and over again, I, this come, I know this comes up a lot, but I think it's a it's a it's a persistent problem, right. maybe mostly among young men, but I think maybe among all Christians that we have been trained so much to believe that that we're sinners, ugly, ugly, gross, 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 ugly, ugly, gross, gross, terrible, terrible. Everything you do is filthy rags, nasty, junk, worthless. In order to emphasize the idea that we're saved by grace alone. We have to denigrate, 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 hate, you know, so much so that we believe that God is is plugging his nose, covering his eyes just to have to put up with us being in his presence. And so God doesn't like us at all. God, in fact, is disgusted by us. But because his son died on the cross, I guess he has to accept us. But that's not what the Bible teaches. right? That's what we teach. Not, right. not you and I, but I mean, that's, I think I have probably taught that sort of inadvertently in the past. And so this idea, this emphasis on fear and shame, it may be useful to control people's behavior, but it doesn't help them love God. And you could be as good as you want if you don't love God. And in fact, you take that same God that who hates 
and you start to live that out so that you, so you find out your friend got drunk and so you throw him out of the car, not literally throw him out, but if you listen to the Rhett and Link thing, this is part of the story. You, you make him get out of the car in the middle of the country because you, in fact, are acting out the same behavior that you believe your God is acting out. There's something fundamentally wrong in your perspective. And the fact that the fact that Rhett and Leak recognize that there's something wrong there is correct. Right. I don't think their conclusion is correct, that Christianity right. therefore is not true, but the recognition that there's a problem there is correct. Right. That's and, so I'm just agreeing with you. And and the, I've heard uh, multiple people say that when someone says that you know they reject God, instead of you know starting to argue with them, you should ask the question, well. What, what is your picture of God that you're rejecting? Like, who, which God are you? do you think you're rejecting? Because right. more often than not, when you hear how they describe God, it, it will often be like, well, I agree with you. I, 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 I couldn't believe in that God either. Um, and the, the idea is that um, if that's the picture of God that Christianity uh, produces, then that's then that's problematic but what travis and i are trying to have emphasized time and time again is we don't think that's the god of christianity and um and we think we have good reasons for that and let me let me let me add one more thing to this uh because i think i think we this this is one of the things where we inadvertently teach this kind of god we don't directly tell people that god hates them right we might pull out jonathan edwards or what mark driscoll did yeah, and so does Westboro Baptist Church, but uh, I don't really care about that. Um, but I think what we tend to do, like the way, even the way we're, we're uh, you know, when I was in seminary, we weren't exactly, I was trained under, uh, a little bit under Haddon Robinson, who is a magnificent, uh, just magnificent preacher. Uh, but uh, it was terrifying to preach in front of him. But uh one of the things we're sort of trained to do with the average sermon is you do a little Bible exposition. Uh, you know, you throw some Greek out there to show that you're smart or whatever, if you feel like it. Um, <laughs> but then you, the whole goal of every single sermon is application. And in most church services, the sermon is the high point of the service and the application is the high point of the sermon. So what you what you gather from going to church is I need to do, I need to live in a different way or there's a series of rules that I need to live by. Now, no pastor would say you need to do these things to be saved. Right. But then why are you telling me I need to do them? To be loved? To become a better person? Like what? And I'm not saying that any pastor says you need to do this to be loved. I'm saying we're constantly Sunday after Sunday, uh, Bible study after Bible study. We're always trying to boil the Bible down to the practical application as if the practical application is the centerpiece. The centerpiece is to love God and to love neighbor. If if your practical application doesn't doesn't encourage the evaluative outlook, the perspective that you have that causes you to see God and to love God because because you're beginning to get a clearer picture of the loving goodness of God, um, then what you're doing is you're seeing. I guess I would say this, the practical, the emphasis on practical application suggests that the way that we relate to God is by doing a certain number of things that cause us to, uh, 
the, the way the way we relate to God is by doing the right things. Right. Now we're taught over and over again that doing the right things doesn't get you saved. Well, then what is the purpose of doing the right things? What could be the purpose after that? What's that? Sanctification. Well, yeah, but the idea the idea is I guess I should say this. What's the point of sanctification? To right. get God to like us. At least, at right? least it's often presented, yeah. Well, I don't even know if I don't know if anybody actually says that, but that's how that's my I can't think of any other interpretation of it. Right. It, 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 the the or, problem is is that by emphasizing action, we're not we're addressing the symptoms and not the the source. The source yes. of our actions comes from the way that we see God, the way we see the world, the way we see value, the way we see other people. And if that's not changed, you're gonna you can change all your actions, but you're still gonna have a, this fundamental tension within you that is going to be pushing against all those actions. And right. what what we're what we're saying is sanctification sh- is, is actually about changing your perception, not which then in turn will change your actions. But the but if you just focus on your actions, you're not going. You're you're focusing on the result rather than on the source of that result. Yeah, and I think I mean I think there are habits that you can develop, there are actions that you develop in order to modify your perspective. But it has to. It's just a way that it's understood. Because when I'm told that I don't need to do anything to get saved except have faith, and it's purely by God's grace, but then I'm told a bunch of stuff I'm supposed to do. What would be my natural interpretation? Well, God's grace is not love is not it's it's love in this generic meaningless empty sense of he's doing it because he's supposed to because that's that's why god does stuff right um and then doing the sanctification stuff makes you good meanwhile i'm told i'm a dirty filthy sinner right so so i'm getting these this message of everything i do is trash i need to do better why do i need to do better nobody's telling me why it must be because i need to get god to like me God already loves you, but he doesn't like you. You know what I mean? Like what I'm saying is that, and this is, this isn't said out loud, but this is what I learned. And it's not because anybody said this to me. It's because I was constantly being, these, this set of messages was being presented and I had to interpret it in a way that made sense. And when I listened to Rhett and Leak, the whole point of when I listened to Rhett and Leak, they talk about having a vibrant relationship with Jesus, which is a weird thing for them to say, considering they they just think he's a dead guy, but uh, um, but they also talked about you know they understood it's by great by, by faith alone all this all this kind of stuff they understood all that stuff and yet they recognize the lovelessness of Christianity, not of Christianity, of Christian culture. Yes, it's a somewhat loveless culture, but we preach love all the time. How could it be a loveless culture? That's what I'm trying to kind of get at. I think, and maybe we're digging too deep at this point in the in the talks, but. I feel like there is a kind of loveless culture and it comes out in ways that are, that are hidden. Like we're preaching. I'm not saying this practical application, people are speaking falsehoods. I'm not saying when they, when they do exposition, when they do expository preaching, that they're preaching falsehoods. It's not what I'm saying. It's like the framework in which they present it teaches me that I have to do these things to make God like me. And therefore, if somebody else is not doing the right things, and I'm more righteous than them, it's appropriate for me not to like them. Now, I love them in Jesus' name, scare quotes around that. <laughs> I've had people who clearly despise me say, I love you in Jesus' name. And I'm like, that word doesn't mean anything. Um, 
uh, I can't imagine why anyone would despise me. But uh, so anyway, you, you see how it kind of goes down the chain. We reflect the God that we believe in. The God we believe in is a God who, quote unquote, loves us, but doesn't like us unless we do enough good things. But you can't do enough good things because everything is filthy rags. I'm beating a dead horse here, but I'm trying to get like how, how there's just the way that we do. We could call it the liturgy of Christian worship trains, even though all the words are right, it still trains us to think of God as not liking us. Right. And therefore it's okay for us to not like other people. In, in, in a, yeah, in a twisted way. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So here's where we're going to start down uh, a more controversial path. No. Uh, and another thing that I think Rhett and Link get right is pushing on the idea that um, orthodoxy includes a specific modern developed understanding of the beginning of the world. That is orthodoxy. I I think they're right in, in pushing back on the idea that orthodoxy does not require one to be a young earth creationist, does not require one to be an old earth creationist, does not require one to be an intelligent design, nor does it require one to be a theistic evolutionary person. I think all of those can fit under the umbrella of orthodoxy. I know... Excuse me. Excuse me for a moment. I need to go get my pitchfork. So... (laughs) The the tar and feathers, too? Um, Yes, yes, exactly. But the... You know, I look at... At people I've known, and I've known many people who, um, who are good Christian people, who love Jesus deeply, who um, demonstrate the fruit of the Spirit in their lives, and have, who have held each of these different views. And um, as as we've talked about before, we need to uh, Rhett and Link are right in, in, in pushing back on this because those, those theories answer a question, but it's not the question that I think the story is trying to tell us. The story is not a story of how, it's a story of who are we created to be? Who yeah. is our creator? Um, those are the bigger questions that that story answers. And beyond that, we can have a lively discussion and um, give each other big hugs and actually still like each other at the end of that discussion. Um, but I think they're right. I think there, there, there are good reasons for us to, um, to raise questions on, on understanding the how, but the, the goal we have to keep in mind is, is that, um, Maybe those aren't the right questions to ask, and we'll we'll talk more about that as we go uh, when we get into laying out um, laying out some of our concerns with the way that apologetics is often done. Yeah, because um, I want to jump in here and give a bunch of weird theories, but let me let me, re- let me re- reiterate what you're saying and and kind of affirm it. Uh, what Joel is saying, and I agree with him here. What he's what he's not saying. Let me start with what you're not saying. You're not saying that their view is correct. Correct. What you're as in they 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 
criticize what kind of got Rhett started on this path, right? So there's two things that you're not agreeing with. One, you're not you're not claiming that the Earth is old. Um, you might do it in your own free time, but you're not doing it right now, right? What, um, what, what, what I'm, what I'm, let me be clear. What I'm saying is scripture isn't telling us whether the earth is young or old. Yes. So you're not, you're not affirming either side. What right. you're saying is that scripture is less concerned about this than we, than we are, or we seem to make scripture out to be. Now, in order to, and the second thing you're not, you're not agreeing with Rhett on, even though what we're talking about here is is agreement, is that this necessarily leads to this, that this starts the slippery slope down into atheism or hopeful agnosticism or whatever whatever he refers to himself as, um, as into a rejection of Christianity. So this, for us to be able to respond as to, or to explain why it is, and I've I've thought about, I've gone through a lot of this um, personally, and I'm not going to get into details of my own, obviously totally correct view, but, uh, I want to like, this takes, this takes understanding of, of what's going on, particularly in Genesis one. Uh, it takes, it takes a whole bunch of scriptural understanding. You and I have both studied scripture, but we're not, we're not scholars, uh, in terms of the Bible scholars disagree to some extent on this. Um, uh, apologists, Anyway, I don't know. Uh, we could probably get into a, a lot of details here. It's like I can say a bunch of names and support a particular view, but that's not my point. Um, the point is that what really matters in Scripture is who made us and what we are, what he made us to be. How we got there is beside the point. And this this is getting to a point of disagreement, but I just I want to note this really quickly. A lot of people think that the that the details of how it came about is what tells us what we are. And I disagree with that. I think who made us and his intention behind it is is essential. If if I the again, I'm sort of jumping ahead, but I'm going to stop with just this. If you believe that the how the the details of how something was made determine what it is, then you got bigger problems than the age of the earth. Your, your whole understanding of, of scripture is way off. If you think the how is that essential, that's what I think, because the problem is your emphasis on the how instead of the who and the, and the purpose of, of why it was done. And, those and, are essential. Yes. And, and if you listen to Rhett, when he talks about this, those questions of the, the who and, and the who created us and, and um, and who we're created to be are not on his radar. Those, those questions just do not come up in his discussion because he's, I think because he's, he's, that's not been something he's been concerned about because that's not what he was trained to think about, to, to, right. to, to worry about. Um, and so when you... It's a, it's a, yeah, it's again, it's a confused emphasis, partly be, partly because of apologists, apologetics, right? We're so concerned about making sure the how is correct. And and this is based upon a particular view of scripture. And I'm not saying, we're not saying the earth is old. I mean, even if it's 6,000 years old, that's old to me. Uh, I'm not going to live that long, uh, especially with this coronavirus stuff going on. But uh, But we're not saying that the earth is millions and millions or billions of years old. We're also not saying it's 
six to 10,000 years old or anywhere in between. We're not saying anything. We're saying, I don't think scripture cares as, as much as we think. Let's just be clear here. We're sort of being critical of the rigidity of young, of a young earth interpretation. I'm not saying they're wrong because if God exists, he does. The earth could be 50 years old. It could be five minutes old, really. I mean, this is a philosophical game you could play. But the earth, I mean, we could have been created like now with all this memory and so on and so forth. But uh, probably not. But, uh, but you know, the earth could be as God, God could have done this anyway, any way he wanted and made things look however he felt like making them look. The issue is. The issue is that that rigidity of the how has become and a particular interpretation, a, a way of interpreting scripture has become so connected with the way that, that that people believe. This happened with Rhett that as soon as that part broke, it started creating a whole host of difficulties that led down a certain kind of slope. Our issue is if you're not if you don't cling to that bat so tightly, you won't break your your hands when you hit something. Right. right relax your grip a little bit on things that are non-essential. What is essential is the who and the purpose, not the details of how it was done and how long ago the earth was created. This is where I have a strong disagreement with Ken Ham. Um, because he claims if you do not believe the earth is young, then you can't believe scripture. If you can't believe scripture, you, you can't believe in Jesus. If you can't believe in Jesus, you're not a Christian. And I'm like, well, that's sort of what happened to Rhett in a long roundabout way, right. but that's just not true. Like, that, but that doesn't mean the earth is old. That's not what we're saying. <laughs> what we're saying is you're going to have kids who go to college and they're going to study, they're going to study uh, all these different kinds of things about geological time and so on and so forth. And then they're going to be sitting there going, well, who do I believe? My, my parents who are, you know, I don't know, factory workers or my really, really smart, uh, science professor, my really smart science professor is telling me everything my parents taught me was wrong. And now suddenly I can't believe Christianity because I, because I've been t taught over and over again that the earth is, I don't know how many, uh, how old. And my parents keep saying, well, you can't be a Christian unless you think it's 6,000 years old. And suddenly boom, the fragile, brittle system that you built around the how shatters. And then, and because the how broke, they reject the who and the, and the purpose, right? the who and the why. And, and, you know, I think. And it's around a, a, a non-essential. Right. Can right. you go to heaven if you believe the earth is old? Where in scripture do you find that, you know, you must believe in Jesus? And all you can do with this is a lot of things. But if you start undermining the, the, the authority of scripture, it becomes a problem. But, but nowhere does it say you need to believe in Jesus and also believe a particular scientific account of the age of the earth and, and the manner in which things were brought about. No, believe in Jesus. We've talked about this in other episodes of, of our podcast, but you know, Jesus has to be the center. And Jesus has to be the center. And when Jesus is a center, then anything else is not the center. And so by definition, that means anything else is less central than Jesus. And right. so you hold on to the center and that's going to get you a lot farther than trying to hold on to other things as though they're the center, because you can lose the center if you let go of the other things, if you think the other things are central. Right. And, but the problem that, that comes up, again, this might be, this might be something we have to get to later, is that 
Rhett claimed, said the same thing. If you listen to his deconstruction, he's like, well, I, I, I started looking at the evidence and think, well, evolution must be the case and the earth must be old, but God could have done it. And so I'm just going to hold to the center that is Jesus. And, and one of the things we're going to have to get to is, was he holding to the center? In fact, we've already sort of talked about this. Was right. he actually holding to the center? And 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 I, we will get to this in um, another episode, probably the next episode, but it might yeah. be the one and, after. Well, we'll see. Yeah, and and when I say was he not was he perhaps not holding to the center? I'm not talking about saying that. Well, he was never never saved, or talking about ulterior motives. I'm talking about from merely how they describe themselves. Was he taking him at face value? Taking them at face value? Were they holding to the center? And it's not it's not clear that they that they were. And so as the things begin to unravel, there's the core, the core was weak because the center, like just this idea of God that loves us. If you believe that God is just a a God that sort of despises you, you're not holding to the center because you're not even talking about the God of the Bible. Right. I mean, if Jesus coming and dying for you doesn't mean that God actually likes you, loves you. Well, then I, I don't know what you think's going on with Jesus and God, but that ain't Christianity if you disbelieve that, if you reject that. Right. And I feel like we're tacitly rejecting that even while vocally declaring it. Yeah. We'll get into that more. Yeah. Sorry. I keep jumping ahead. No, it's fine. One of the things that Travis and I have talked about in preparing for these is as we talk about the things they get right – our tendency is to want to qualify everything. Yes. That it's it's clear that not just here's what they get right, but you know here's what we think, and that's actually right. And and so we're, don't 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 think that we're we're like Rhett and Lincoln. We've gone down these this terrible path. <laughs> and and, and um, it's difficult because you know we 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 hope that you continue to listen to these episodes and hear us out fully um, because we we do want to right now we're wanting to emphasize the things that we understand what they're saying we understand how they got there we we think that there might be something right about this but we're mm-hmm. not going the whole way that they go which right. we will make clear as yeah, as, as our conversation progresses yeah because we've both had these sorts of experiences in different sorts of ways sort of like Rhett and Ling did where we where we seriously wrestled with particular doubts and and we came back to Christianity really with a stronger, richer, and a greater love for God and, and for, the, for seeing the wonder of the depth and the richness and the fecundity of Christian belief, yeah. as opposed to just slowly, it's slowly kind of uh, eroding away as happened with Rhett and Link. They yeah. just eroded, it eroded. We had these wrestlings and then we came back to it. Um, even, even came back to it. I don't know if we left. I think God was sort of holding me the entire time, but I came back to the understanding of Christianity in a deeper way. So we want to express maybe a little bit, maybe part of what we're trying to do is talk about how, how we went down this path and how it resulted in different things and how the way that we now perceive Christianity is distinct from theirs. But let's start by talking with a criticism right. or, or, or sorry, letting them criticize us right. accurately right? At where they get it accurate is really what we're saying. Um, I've got just a few more things I want to, talk about (laughs) go ahead three more things before we move to criticism um the first thing and and yeah the first thing is 
Rhett talks about a metaphysic of love, treating as love as kind of the central part of the universe. And, And I guess my second thing is connected with that. And he talks about purpose is found in living for others and loving others. And, um, it's not about focusing on yourself. It's about uh, looking beyond yourself, um, and which which I think is tied in wonderfully with a metaphysic of love. And those are 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 right. I think. Um, now, granted, I'm not qual- I'm not going to get into all my qualifications. I would maybe put meat on the bones a little differently. No, maybe I would put meat on the bones differently than he does, but on the bones, I can agree with a metaphysical love. I can agree with purposes found in living for others and loving others mm-hmm. wholeheartedly. Um, and, and I, I can agree that generally speaking, we Christians do not perceive, we do not, perce- we do not hold a metaphysic of love. We hold a metaphysic of power of power over. That's why one of the central debates of Christianity is does God control all of our actions? Do does God have power over all of our actions, or do we have power over some of our own? Who who's more? Did did God give us some power, or is He in charge, or does He power over everything? Right? Power, right. power, 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 power. You ask. I've asked students, "What's your central in a, in a Bible college?" Describe God. Love didn't come up because it was an academic setting. Uh, yes, some Bible colleges are academic settings. Um, the one I was in was the one I taught it was but uh uh the word love never came up the first the first characteristic of god the first property or quality of god that people give is power and by power we mean and this will have to we'll have to get into some detail later but basically our we hold the same view as euthyphro as all the pagan gods that god's fundamental characteristic is he can kill everyone God has the biggest guns. What's the difference between Allah and Yahweh? Yahweh has has is is existent and therefore his guns are real guns as opposed to Allah's not real guns. Mm-hmm. Right? Other than that they're exa- they're I mean they have different scriptures and so on and so forth and our God is a God of love but so is Allah. He's the merciful, compassionate, so on and so forth if you read any of the surahs they start with that. But our God is real so has real guns as opposed to fake guns. I don't know. It's I don't know. I don't. Maybe I'm not being clear, but no. no this I, is a really big issue for me, and I've taught it quite a bit, both in a New Testament class that I taught, some Sunday school stuff I've taught, stuff mm-hmm. I've written on the blog. God's fundamental property in Scripture, it says in First John that God is power. <laughs> oh wait, no, it says God is love. That's right. right. That's another episode for another time because there is a lot that we would like to say. Well, the point I'm trying to make is Rhett claims to be shifting to a metaphysic of love away from Christianity. Great point. But Christianity has a metaphysical. If if there's any belief system that has a metaphysic of love, it's Christianity. Right. But Christians don't. Too and long. I'm just as guilty of this. I hold a metaphysic of power, not of love, of whoever wins in the end gets to say where everybody goes and how they should be treated, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And why is God right? Because he can kill everyone. <laughs> not just kill them. He can do really bad things to them. That's why he's right. No, that's not why he's right. right. He's right because he's love. Right. His, his power flows from his love. Not he's powerful, but also happens to be nice. Thank goodness. Yeah. Right. That's it's got things upside down. And that's the standard. And that's where Rhett and Link are 
He didn't necessarily say Christianity was a metaphysic of power, but that's sort of implied in there. Yeah. And Christians do hold a metaphysic of power. Right. That's a problem. You know, if if you see it as a shift to a metaphysic of love um, away from Christianity, then then that is problematic of the um, Christianity that uh, you were presented with, or at least now he were presented with. Yeah, um, he talks about how Jesus talks about love is the, the greatest in First Corinthians thirteen. The greatest of these is love. They, they mention these verses, so he recognizes that love is important to Christianity, but he also sees him moving more clearly into love, more purely into love, instead right. of this confused, muddled mess that Christi- that his understanding of Christianity presented. Right. And that's what I'm trying to express, is I yes. think they're sort of right that we Christians have presented a muddled view. Right, right. So my, my last thing that I want to applaud them for, agree with them with, is, um, is tough. Um, and I mean, it's, it's something I've wrestled with. Um, I haven't been in a particular situation where this has been uh, the case, but I've, I've been presented with opportunities for these situations. And, and that's, I want to applaud them for wanting to sincerely hold the beliefs that the organization they were employed by required them to hold. Um, they, they saw it as being important that while they were employed by Campus Crusade, for them to make sincere efforts to hold the beliefs that that organization asked them to hold, not just on what what Travis and I might think are fundamental beliefs, but even beliefs beyond that. Um, and this may not be the time, but at some point and this might not even be the series to get into this, but at some point I think it would be worthwhile to discuss how about to discuss the tension of getting a paycheck from an organization that requires specific beliefs, but also one's pursuit of truth requiring the ability to meaningful, meaningfully wrestle with one's beliefs, including what might be those specific beliefs that the organization is requiring you to hold. Yeah. I just, I talked to a friend of mine. I mean, this is, this is obviously an issue if anybody's ever tried to get licensed in their home denomination. So I went to Gordon-Conwell Seminary, very eclectic group of people that went there. It was a non-denominational, but conservative Christian seminary. A lot of us came out of there because we interacted with people from so many different backgrounds and learned from professors of so many different backgrounds that we came out of there sort of mutt, uh, uh, what you might call doctrinal mutts and that we didn't, none of us, we had a hard time lining up with any particular denomination. I went back to get licensed with my home denomination and uh, being a smug seminary student, uh, I didn't get licensed. And I loved my, I I felt like a sense of loyal because that's where I became a believer. That's where I was discipled Uh, from the way I'm talking. It sounds like they really screwed things up, but um, no, but in many ways, like I still look back to, to people back in, in my past in that denomination with, with great affection. And I still go to one of them in particular for advice and, 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 uh, stuff like that. So, um, and the reason I didn't get licensed is because I had developed an uncertainty about the particular order of events of the end times. I had sort of changed my mind, but I was, but I pre- also presented arguments against my position to show that I was uncertain. 
And I remember being told when I didn't get licensed, they called me and said, we don't think you can, because of your view of end times or your tentative view of end times, we don't think you can minister in our denomination. That strikes me as absurd. That was one of the most, that's probably one of the most ridiculous sentences ever said to me, except maybe this next one where the guy said, and Travis, this is sort of a word of advice from a wiser, older gentleman. <laughs> we just think you, we think you think too much. Uh, now you might agree, but at the time I was like, what? So I went and got a PhD in philosophy, but, uh, <laughs> um, but that struck me as strange. And the idea is that there's a certain kind of study so that you support the doctrines of our particular de- denomination. This is sort of a criticism of denominations in general, even though I understand the need to keep the heresies and the heterodox out. If, if I just had a friend who was trying to get, who's, who was thinking about going into ministry. I just talked to him the, the other day and he immediately got, the guy talked to him and said, we, I'd hire you right now. And they just sent him a bunch of stuff. And one of the things was, do you promise you'll never preach against any of the doctrines held by our church? And he's like, I don't even know the doctrines held by your church. I can't guarantee that. And I'm not interested, like, leave me alone. But, uh, but the whole idea was based on, um, as soon as you get that paycheck, you're, you're not called to pursue truth and to understand scripture. You're called to align with the doctrines of that denomination. That strikes me as now at the same time, I hold the value of tradition, right? If you know what denomination I'm in now, you understand that I care about tradition and and that I can't just come up with some high, you know, newfangled version of Christianity and reject all the people before because I'm super smart and there's the internet now. But uh, <laughs> um, uh, that's all jokes, by the way. I'm not super smart. There is the internet now. But um, so I understand the, the importance of tradition, but there's something about that narrowness that ends up creating a, creating a sense that you're in a cage created by the need to make money and a cage where you're not allowed to pursue truth. And once something comes in there, again, it creates a sort of rigidity. Everything begins to fall apart because so many things are attached to this, to this need to align with a particular set of doctrines. Um, that's part of it. I don't know if that's all that you were getting at, but there's something strange about a Christianity that doesn't encourage people to pursue God and scripture and and a deep understanding of Christianity, but instead to stay within the the lines that we've drawn. Right. Um, Now, I don't believe that in terms of the tradition of Christianity. So when it comes to the Nicene Creed, yeah, those are some pretty hard lines. Mm -hmm. You start stepping outside those lines. I'm like, eh, I don't think you're a Christian. Uh, Sorry, Mormons and Jehovah's Witnesses, but you ain't in there. We have this, this tough, middle ground to find because on one hand there is a role in denominations in 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 um kind of saying hey here here is this group of people and we we've kind of set these parameters for um for for belief and and i think at their best the denominations kind of help help people function in the kingdom more effectively because we're all different. We all see the world a little differently. Um, I think we all want to be careful how I say this. None of us have a full understanding of God. And so our partial understandings of God all look a little different. And so it, 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 
it makes some sense to want to find people who share a similar understanding of God. And um, because then you can, you can grow as a Christian, others can encourage you in a similar fashion. Um, you can, you can even focus on the work of the kingdom and, and developing, you know, the work of the kingdom rather than getting caught up in the minutia of, of the disagreements. Um, and so I, I want to affirm that I, I do think at their best, there is value in denominations. And, um, and, and, I, I just want to, I want to like, yeah, I mean, I think when John, or when, in, in, the, in John, when Jesus is praying his high priestly prayer, he prayed, Lord, I pray that the church will be as divided just as you and I are divided, except <laughs> millions of different ways over thousands of different secondary and tertiary and whatever's after tertiary doctrines. <laughs> no, no, I, I, I think that's what he prayed. Is that right? Yes. There's something like that. No, the, what I'm saying is at their best. And, and, but that also means if someone's in your church and they see God a little differently, it's okay to say, Hey, this church down the street, I think is going to be a place where you're going to be able to develop more as a Christian and you should check them out. It's going yeah, to be I a gain for the kingdom. If you are in a church that, that with people, it, it can be a net gain for the kingdom. If you're in a church with people who see God similarly to you. Yeah. I mean, I guess this might be the case if like, you know, one church has a bunch of people who only want to sing classical hymns. Meanwhile, there's someone, I don't know, hollering in tongues and dancing in the, in the, in the, uh, aisles. But I don't know this, sorry, this is a bit of a, this is a spot where I think the divisions, I think, yes, denominations at their best. Yes. So in a way that none of them actually function, they're really useful. F- fair enough. <laughs> sorry. <laughs> no, I need, to, I need to be careful because the president of our organization works at Alabama Baptist. So um, and, and, I'm, and what I, maybe what I should, should be clear about is, um, that I think I would even say that there are definitely churches within denominations that strive toward this kinds kind of kind of goal that yeah. they understand how being a part of a denomination in this way, um, and and so I, we're, we're, we're what I don't want to do is I don't want to be like we should just get rid of all denominations because well while some days I I may think that myself. More practically, I, I I think there's it's problematic to go down that path. Um, however, the the rigidity that Travis talked about is, I do think it's it's problematic. I do think um, it can make people feel trapped. It can make people feel, um, and this is a fine line again between people feeling like they have to uphold a certain view versus being allowing people to speak into your spiritual journeys. Um, you know, that there's, there's an element where, where, when, when you struggle to believe or to believe something yourself, there's something, um, very stabilizing about being able to say, even though I'm wrestling with this myself, I'm surrounded by people who can believe and almost believe this for me while I'm struggling to believe it myself. Right. 
And I, and I think, again, I think there, you see a lot of work together between churches of different denominations and stuff. That's where I think they're actually acting well and appropriately. It's when they become greedy over members and they're, they're, dis, they're distant and one church is struggling and the other one, because it's a different denomination, is just enjoying lapping up their, their lost members. You know, it's, it's things like that that sort of happen. Yes. Um, but when they're working together and, and – but the thing is, what we're talking about, again, is, is Rhett and Link being attached to an organization that requires them to hold a particular set of beliefs. Now, I don't know how rigid the belief system was of – it was uh, Crew or yeah. Campus Crusade, right? Uh, I don't know how, how open – how wide their beliefs are or how, how open they are. But even if it's just, there's sort of a trick where you even, I think when you're in, and I was in ministry for a while, where your Christianity becomes a function of your job. Mm-hmm. And, and that's sort of a, I mean, that's, that's just a, being a minister can be a r- tremendously lonely job. I know you only work one day a week. Um, that's a joke. But, uh, but, but it's, it can be tremendously lonely. And in some ways it can become dry because it's like your belief is connected with your paycheck. The focus can start to break and to move away from that organization to suddenly step out of it. I remember stepping out of ministry and feeling this sense of like weight off of me in a way where I'm like, I can do whatever I want now. But I mean, I'm not, not whatever. Cause I didn't do whatever I, I mean, I didn't do whatever I want. Uh, you know, but there's a sort of like, there's sort of a, a freedom to be able to, explore and understand that wasn't there when I was in the, in the midst of the ministry. Um, which I understand I was just under, I, I was approaching ministry wrongly. Uh, but that, that kinds that I think that tends to happen or that can, can, can tend to happen. Um, denominations are just one particular example of requiring people to hold a particular rigid set of belief, rigid, a particular set of beliefs and discouraging exploration. Right. right. In the previous intro one, we talked about some of the benefits of deconstruction and there is a time to sit back and go through and, and sort of clean house. Mm-hmm. It's like, as, as we go on through our, through our lives, our, our belief, we start accruing, uh, I don't know. We start collecting barnacles and cobwebs. And sometimes we need to go through and do a little spring cleaning um, deconstruction doesn't mean destroy your beliefs, but to go through and to check yourself against them, uh, recognize or check, check them against scripture, against Christian tradition, against whether this is drawing you to love God or draw, driving you away from God, mm-hmm. uh, whether it's drawing you to love your neighbor or driving you away from your neighbor. These are some of the things that we need to check. And these are some of the things that Rhett and Leak, I think we're getting in many ways, we're getting right, mm-hmm. but it just led them down the wrong road. So, um, it's tough. Um, I, I respect them for respecting the, their employer. I think that's to be applauded. Um, but I, I think, I think, you know, there's definitely some room for discussion on how, how organizations should, um, create a culture that allows, the spring cleaning you know, that allows the the digging in um, that allows the pursuit of 
of what does it mean to love God with all your heart, heart, soul, mind, and strength, um, mm-hmm. and how that might look different. And um, yeah, so I, I, you know, I I know that the in their story, the movement to to L.A. working for YouTube instead of crew uh, was a big deal, and a lot. And I've read different commentary by people who want to read ulterior motives into uh, their move. And I, 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 you know, like they were just sticking around campus crusade to get their paycheck. And once they got a chance to get another paycheck, they, they jumped ship. And I don't think that was the case. Um, I mean, it, I, I don't think that they were looking to get out of their Christianity. And so they were looking to get out of crusade yeah. rather. I think, at least, at least we're not going to interpret it as if that was the case. Right. Somebody who's close to them may see something we don't, but we right. don't know that. So right. we're taking them at their word. Um, and, and their word seems to be like the reason they wanted to get out of, of campus crusade was because they, they wanted the freedom to be able to ask questions. They, they didn't feel like they could ask questions. They could wrestle with things. Right. Um, you know, and, and yeah, I don't have a good answer to that. Um, I mean, I, you know, I, I'm a theological mutt like Travis was talking about for himself, and um, you know, I, I can't get any organization like that to hire me because of it. But that's a <laughs> there may be other reasons they don't hire me. But well, it's also the drug habit and everything else. But we don't get into that. Oh, whatever. It's, it's a caffeine <laughs> caffeine thing. That's that's there is a caffeine addiction in in my life. But when you have my kids, you would understand. <laughs> <laughs> so, as we've talked about the the positives the things we agree with Rhett and link it's it's i think it's a it's a substantive list i don't think we um i i hope that people who listen to this aren't being like oh they're just they're just throwing some meat to Rhett and link because they're trying to be nice uh, no we we really think that they're that they say some important truths in this in their uh quest for deconstruction i guess you would say um you know, they, they raise some legitimate concerns about Christian culture that um, aren't unique to them, um, but they don't necessarily lead to the to the end result that, that they they uh, ended up at. You know, discussions about certainty, um, the problems with certainty, uh, the problems with using fear and shame, uh, trying to the, the problems with um, increasing orthodoxy beyond what what it needs to be um, and and. I think we should, we can ask some real questions about what does it mean to to remove the muddled picture of power and love that Christianity seems to present and focus on love is the power, not power is love, but love is where power is actually found, um, purpose in living others, um, and and even you know how do we remain faithful when you know to um, employers who require us to believe things when. Um, we're wrestling otherwise. I, I, I think they've done some really good things. I think they're, um, I think people who just want to stand up and criticize them and, and offer ulterior motives are, are missing some really important nuggets here, um, that, that they give us. Um, but as we've kept saying, it's not all agreement. Um, obviously it's not cause we are in a very different place than they are. Uh, in, in our next episode, we'll start to get into some of our criticisms. We'll, we'll start to address some of our concerns about their approach, concerns with um, with with some of their 
you know, and, and this isn't just going to be unique to concerns about them, but sort of some of uh, concerns about um, the underlying parts at work that they that they do seem to hold on to that we, we think are problematic. Um, but we're, yeah, we're, we're not we're uh, not going to be criticizing just the surface claims that they make. We're going to try to get to what is the way that Christians, apologists, thought leaders in Christianity, what are the way that we talk about these topics that cause them to come to these kinds of conclusions? Yes. Sort of what we're going to try to get at. Yeah. So um, we've got we've got more episodes in us on this. Uh, how many more? We're not sure. But um, as as you are, you know, if you are listening, keeping up with this uh, episode, with these episodes as they they come out, we encourage you to keep practicing your social distancing and keep listening to our podcasts. If you uh, have extra time and you want to go back to listen to old podcasts, we'd love to to do that, to have you do that. Um, any questions or comments you have, reach out to us through email. Uh, that's uh, wondering, W underscore N-D-E-R-I-N-G at tacticalfaith.com. Um, or you can find us on Twitter. Um, reach out to us, ask questions. Um, tell us how wonderful we are or how wonderful we're not. Uh, Give us a review on iTunes. Just we we want to hear from you. Um, Travis and I have a lot of things that we like to talk about, but um, if this were just for ourselves, we wouldn't record it and post it on the internet. We're 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 wanting this to 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 be helpful to to people beyond ourselves. So um, reach out to us. Let us know what you think. What 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 you're interested in, and uh, give us ideas for future episodes. And we'd be happy to get into those and and um, maybe invite you in on, on the conversation if it's appropriate. So um, thanks for listening. Uh, we, we hope things are, are good. This is Joel. This is Travis. Stay safe out there.